So, this is Vibe Drive episode 148, and it brings back one of the greatest tech journalists to ever live. He's here, he's live, he's on Vibe Drive, which starts now. What's up, people? This your boy, Viper, the man about tech, and welcome back to another episode of Fight Drive. This is the podcast about tech hosted by the man about tech. And tonight we are welcoming back the greatest Apple journalist alive. Welcome. Let's bring in my man, the legendary Renee Richie. What's up, Renee? How you doing, baby? Mm, yeah, Viper Madness. Yeah, what a rush. Oh, Renee coming in hot, man. What's going on, man? How you been, man? How you been? Good, man. Good. I've been missing these shows. I'm so happy they're back. Yes, yes, man. I've been been busy the last few months, but we are back in the building, a podcast, and back live. So, awesome. before we go into all the tech, so I got a very special message for you. I saw what you posted on Twitter the other day about people making fun of you or talking crazy about you being in your thumbnails and just like that. And I know you know this, but I'll just tell you anyway. People, are, humans are trash. Some humans are, oh, I should, I should say, some humans are trash. <laughs> Let's just get it out there. Some humans are absolute trash. They have nothing else better to do than to come online and ridicule people that actually take the risk of putting themselves out there in the public like me, like you, like everybody else. And it's garbage. But you know that you have you have the analytics. You know that probably how your thumbnails are see uh, better with your with you in a thumbnail or whether you're not in a thumbnail. You know the numbers. So the numbers don't lie. No matter what the trash human being say to you or about you, you got the data right there in front of your face to make the best decision for you and your channel, man. You are doing an amazing job. I've told you this before. You are absolutely crushing it on YouTube. So you keep crushing it. Don't worry about the trash humans and just do your thing, man. Do your thing. No, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, like usually I have a really thick skin because you get all the comments like talk slower, talk faster, wear a hat, don't wear a hat, jump, don't jump. Like it's just, it's impossible for a human being to digest, but you also never know what's going on in other people's lives. And sometimes we all have a good day. We all have a bad day. And every once in a while, it's just like, that's the one more thing that you couldn't take. And I usually don't post that stuff, but I also, I don't know if other people are going through the same thing. Like maybe other people are getting dunked on for being in their thought. And I figure like, you know, if I can share what I'm going through, then nobody has to feel alone either. You know, none of us have to feel alone. Uh, and I, I just, I just like, there's this culture that just wants to see like, I don't know, lash out at creators. It's like, you should not have a coffee shop that says coffee on it. You should have no sign if you want to be noble about it. Like you want to be authentic, no sign on your coffee shop. You should not be on Main Street. You should be behind that deserted factory where nobody could find you because only the true fans will drink your coffee. And like, no, man, you can't, you can't do that to creators. Leave them alone. Yeah, but you know, some creators don't make it easy anyway. I mean, we just had the incident with Addison Ray. Um, for those of y'all who are not aware, she's a very famous TikToker who was going to have a gig with the UFC, was doing some promotion for them. But she posted on her Twitter that she studied a whole three months to get this journalism gig with the UFC. And that just rubbed all types of people the wrong way. I mean, I've talked about on these podcasts before about how the real journalists golfed us creators because of our, our notoriety and things like that. Then you have an actual creator going out there and just rubbing salt in the wound of the journalist. <laughs> they were not happy about that. And it's, I think yeah. she tweeted something about her, uh, people getting her fired after the backlash of the tweet. But 
yeah, man, we just got to be careful with creators about what she wasn't even hired. Like she was just doing right. one interview from the guy right. from her hometown, and then she's like, out of here. And but she got all this publicity. It's a genius move. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah, it's uh, it's business one on one from the UFC standard, right? From the from their side of thing, you you're 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 having a big night of fight. You want to get that hype. You want to get that publicity. So you go out and get a big name TikTok or big yeah. name creator to to publicize and promote your fights or whatever. I mean. I don't know why people still get mad at this stuff. This stuff has been happening since the dawn of time. And just and changing and changing now because creators are at the forefront more than your normal A-list celebrity because we're more relatable to the average everyday person. But this stuff has been happening for eons. Like people yeah. need to get over it and move on with their lives. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're having a bad day too. It's just Twitter's made it. I, I love that the Craig Mazin, who's a guy who did um at Chernobyl, and now he's doing The Last of Us for HBO. And he Ooh. he took a break from Twitter because he said Twitter made him feel like he had to have an incredibly loud broadcast opinion about everything, no matter how little he knew about it. And he yeah. had to share it immediately. And it really does feel that way. It feels like anything that comes by, you suddenly have to have an opinion and share it with everybody. And, and it can be really like, it can be great, but it can also not be great. And not everyone can moderate the difference. Yeah. Yeah. P Twitter, Twitter can be good. It, be, it can be bad. I love Twitter, but I know... I have seen some of the trash on Twitter as well, and it, yeah. it, it can be crazy. But uh, let's get into some tech real quick. So let's start off with one of the awesome. recent, more recent videos that you've done. You did a video comparing the uh, Intel Mac versus M1 Mac. So here's my question. Obviously, the M1 Macs are out there. We got the performance benchmark. We got all the information. But ironically, Renee, both me and you right now are still on a Intel Mac. We are both using right at the very moment of this podcast is being recorded. We are both on our 16-inch MacBook Pro from 2019. So my question to you, Renee, I think I asked Taylor Detectives on Saturday too, but my question to you is, if you have an Intel Mac, do is it absolutely necessary to rush out and go get an M1 Mac today? No, I, I mean, like, it really depends on what you're doing with it. Uh, I, ha I have this story I like to give, and that's when Apple announced the 12-inch MacBook. And I had a bunch of my tech journalist friends just showing these pictures of themselves with handfuls of dongles. And I just wanted to take their hands and lead them over to the other shelf that had the MacBook Pro and a ton of ports for them. And say, like, like not every computer is for you. When Apple first started, they made so few products. You, you, like, you could feel like every product was for you. But now they segment it. They have product lines. And not they, you can have they can be products for other people that's fine and i think the m1 mac like um my i got them for my godkids uh for when they went back to school because they hadn't had computers and they were learning from home and they were doing uh you know in school days and they have wonderful battery life and that's all they need and to have a computer that lasts that long it was miraculous for them but i'm using a canon av uh, what is it avhc codec uh, XF AVC codec, and that's still in Rosetta on an M1 Mac, and it takes a long time to render. Ooh. And I'm using this computer, and I want the big screen, and I want like right now I have three USB-C ports plugged in mm -hmm. to talk to you, and I don't I don't have to have a dock to do that, and I have 32 gigabytes of RAM, and I have four terabytes of SSD, so I have a ton of Final Cut projects that are I don't have to offload yet. You know what? I can keep them all live, and I just the right tool for the right job. If they revolutionize the hammer, but I still need a screwdriver, I, I love that they revolutionized the hammer, but I, I got to wait for them to revolutionize the screwdriver too. Definitely. It's so funny because when the M1 Max were first announced and things like that, I never felt the need to rush out and get one. I'm like, my 15-inch Intel MacBook Pro does everything I need to do. Like you were kind of alluding to, I kind of figured that there will be some growing pain with the M1 MacBook. I know our friend Jason from Pantheonic Tech talked about how the audio drivers that he needs aren't necessarily uh, supporting with the M1 Max yet. 
that's that's like that's like your everyday workflow. If the M1 yeah. Max don't support your everyday workflow, what the hell are you gonna do with it? Like, there's no point. Why? So yeah. I just wait. There'll be a better one for you. Yeah. <laughs> in like a year, there'll be a way better one for you. Absolutely. So I completely understand you're not you're using your uh you're using the uh the the Intel uh 16 inch MacBook Pro again. That's the one I'm using, but. You've used the M1 MacBooks, and then you went back to the Intel. Yes. That should tell you everything you need to write, know right there. Renee actually had the M the M1 MacBooks, and he's still choosing to use the Intel MacBook. So there you go. I still have it. That's my that's the Mac I put Monterey on to test with. <laughs> um, but but, it, but I, I, I really want an M1X MacBook Pro because mm -hmm. this thing, the fans are on all the time. I open yeah. the lid, oh, and it yeah. sounds like a shield helicarrier. <laughs> and it's great in winter because I don't need a, I don't need a blanket. It's so hot. <laughs> like it's at max TDP all the time. And the M1 Mac is, is like, it's going to freeze in a Canadian winter. I know that, uh, you know, but I still want it. So like, you know, I, I'm just going to wait. Speaking of that, I, I was funny because I was just watching one of your recent videos and you did like a special intro. And I did not know that our good friend Renee Ritchie could drop bars. Why didn't you tell me you were a rapper, bro? Well, I didn't know you could rap. What's up with this? So, so two things. One is that was a that was an homage to the Bare Naked Ladies, which I think was the Bare Naked Ladies homage to Public Enemy, which is my favorite group of all time. Like I could listen to Chuck D 24 hours a day, all day, every day, just because the man can use language like very few people in the world could use language. Uh, but yeah, I just like it, it just it, it made sense to me to do like that Tim Cook. It's been, you know, one year since I introduced them and then go through that. It was a perfect fit song. So I figured... Uh, bare naked lady fans could appreciate it. Renee out here dropping bars, y'all. He dropping bars. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. It's a well known. It's a well known dirty secret in the industry that whenever I had to do sound checks for any event, I always did Public Enemy or Eric B and Rakim or Ice Cube or something, and I would get really weird looks from the sound people. But I did not care. <laughs> That's right. Live your truth, baby. Live your truth. So we know that Apple has slated that they're going to take two years to complete the transition to M1 Max. Um, there are still computers out there in the Mac lineup that have not been transitioned yet, mainly the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro. Do we think, Renee, that Apple will be able to complete the transition on time, or do you think we'll be delayed, or how do you see that going? I think in the normal course of events, they would have they would have smoked the transition. They would have been done early the way they were done with the uh, PowerPC to Intel um, transition. I think it's harder to tell because, obviously, the pandemic has an impact on just the timeline for everything. And also while Apple's not constrained by leading edge, like bleeding edge nodes, like they just bought all of TMC, TSMC's five nanometer that they that they could, basically all of it, you know, they have high availability for A14 and M1 chips and conceivably A15 and M2 chips as much as they want. Uh, other components are on those trailing edge nodes, which aren't like five nanometer, they're like 90 plus nanometer. And if you have a component for some, you know, tertiary adjunct doodad, in the back of the MacBook, and you're waiting on that. That's super annoying. Yeah. So it's hard to it's hard to tell you know when those are going to ship. But I think they want to get them out as soon as possible. Yeah, I, yeah. With the pandemic messing up everything, it's kind of hard to tell how the timetables are lining up for for Apple products and things like that. Like you said, they pretty much have a, a have a Taiwanese the Taiwanese semiconductor company. They pretty much have them under their wrap. But the other components, like you said, uh, we don't know when they're going to be coming or be available for Apple to mass produce and all that good stuff. So I guess we'll find out. Um, they may meet it. They may not. I guess we'll find out real quick. Yeah, I'm assuming Sonny Dixon is watching us on an M1X iMac Pro right now, so he can tell us what it's like. Yeah, we we have legendary <laughs> Apple Insider Sonny Dixon here in the chat here on Vibe Drive, and he thinks the Mac Pro is coming next year. So there you go. All right. Yeah. So we'll be on the lookout for that. So let's talk about side loading on iOS because you made a video about this recently. I made a video about this recently. 
I am of the mindset that I I kind of don't want Apple to allow it because I feel like it could potentially cause security issues with iOS. What are your thoughts on a potential uh, Apple potentially allowing or maybe not allowing sideloading? Where do you stand? Yeah, so I, I have like I, I, my opinions on this. I try to have like strong opinions that are loosely held, and I always want to. I never want to just set my mind and then never change it. So I listen to all the information coming out. But the way that I'm looking at it now, I've historically really not minded sideloading. Like just give me Gatekeeper, let me install other apps. But when you talk to people, um, the stuff they want to install, it's it's not that easy. It's like we can put VPN apps in China, but China's blocking the servers. They don't, you know, the app's not going to make a difference. Or I can sideload my emulators. I'm like, yeah, but then you're going to like copyright infringe ROMs. And I, like that's not a legitimate you know reason for it. You want it. I want lots of things too, but you know, it's not like an urgent case for it. And then even with the sideloading, Epic is still suing Android saying that's not enough. Right. You know, even with sideloading, it's not enough. It's too. And now we're seeing the government go after Google, a whole bunch of attorney generals going after Google saying, Apple says they're closed. We're not worried about them. You say you're open, but you warn people about sideloading. And Google's like, yeah, because it's dangerous. Um, you know, and all that has to be considered. And so where it comes down for me is like, do you believe that you should have on-platform choice or between-platform choice? So should I be able to use iOS or Android and then choose to sideload or not sideload on each platform? Or should I be able to choose iOS, which has no sideloading, or Android that has sideloading? Because the minute it exists, it's going to be exploited. Like, it's going to be your school or your company. Like, Viper will go to work and the company will like, hey, we got a new app and you got to sideload it because we don't want to bother with enterprise certificates, you know, or... Your school will say you're taking these exams. You're going to sideload the the babysitter software, uh, or people will see like you know you're going to have to get you want Fortnite. You're going to have to sideload it. So it, it does it does create a lot of incentives for that. And I think people do have a right to choose a console. Like you're a, you're doing these awesome videos on Xbox. Uh, these days. Xbox is not a gaming PC. You can choose an Xbox or you can choose a gaming PC, yep. but does the government have the right to say no, an Xbox has to be just another gaming PC? Do a bunch of angry developers have the right to say no? Yeah, you've got to let me you let me run, I don't know, Microsoft Office on the on the Xbox or or, or something. I don't think so. I think people I, I think we should have both options on the market. Yeah, I I I am of the mindset that like you said, if you want to sideload, then you can go to Android. I mean, you don't, there doesn't have to be siloing on iOS. Like, then you have options. It's not like you don't have the option to silo. You just don't have the option to silo on iOS. But if you want to silo, Android is right there for you. Here's the funny thing about Epic. I'm glad you mentioned Epic because that kind of alludes to this little antidote I got going on here. Epic, when they first released Fortnite, it was not in the Google Play Store. The only way that you could download Fortnite when it originally came out was you had to silo it from the Epic Game Store. Now, this was interesting because for whatever reason, I guess Epic didn't get enough downloads or whatever, one thing led to another. And then eventually, Fortnite actually got inside of the Google Play Store because I guess Epic was not seeing the traffic that they thought they would see. So I'm of the mindset that even if Apple allowed sideloading, probably less than 10% of people will actually use it anyway. So I think it's really much to do about nothing. But maybe I'm just being too critical, but... I think it's a big bump up over nothing, to be honest with you, Renee. No, I think I think it's right. And I think it's a really hard conversation to have because apps are becoming pop. You know, they're becoming like um, music has become, you know, commodities. In the early days, software was really expensive. Like, you remember we had to pay for Photoshop or Final Cut before it went to, to, to Final Cut 10. It was like $1,000 for any, any real software you wanted to buy. And it was in big boxes. And you bought software occasionally and you skipped updates. And it was a very exclusive club. Not everybody could afford software unless you pirated it to hold the conversation. <laughs> but now apps... The, the app store opened the floodgates and now millions and millions of people made apps. And there was a big gold rush in the beginning and there were app store millionaires in the beginning and everybody wanted to become a developer. 
Um, and we've seen this, like you used to used to pay for a newspaper, you used to pay, uh, you know, what was it? Four bucks for a magazine or, you know, 30 bucks for a year's subscription of magazines. Yeah. Now you can get every magazine on News Plus. You can get every song on, on Apple Music or Spotify. You can get tons of movies on Netflix. It used to be 20 bucks uh, a CD or 20 bucks a DVD. Yep. Now it's essentially like it's 10 bucks a month. And it's flattened the value of all of those things. And the same has started to happen to apps and people are really angry about it. The same way toys went from like these carefully crafted wooden toys to mass produced Hasbro transformers. Like it happens to every industry eventually. Now we're doing it in YouTube. Like we're making videos that used to take whole production companies to make not too long ago, totally commoditized video. And it's really hard for people to see their livelihood go from very scarce and very valuable to commodity and and not very individually valuable and very few people win it's like there's not a lot of taylor swifts there is not a lot of like marvel cinematic universes not right. a lot of mkbhds and that makes everybody else sometimes really hella angry and it's easy to blame the store but i think the tougher conversation is the same one we have as creators how do you survive when there is an abundance of whatever it is that you do yeah i think it's one of those things where especially if you're running a business, you just have to figure out your target audience or all you have to figure out your target audience. You have to figure out what is it that you're good at and can you expound upon and get better at that? Or what are your weaknesses and can you do something to strengthen those as far as making your business better? We as creators, if we're not getting the views on YouTube, then we have to go and dig through our analytics to figure out what's happening. What are some things that we are doing that we could improve on? What are the things that the audience likes us for and can we make more of that? So it's all about making data-driven decisions. And my man, El Jefe, who's in the chat, always says, if you have the data, you can make the data-driven decision that will that will propel your business forward. So just use the data and go from there. But it is a little crazy with everything that's going on and how how the, how markets have pretty much shifted because of the digital, the, uh, digital age that we're in. It's kind of nutty. I'm not saying there's things like Apple could do things. I think some of them would just be like placebos. It'd make people feel better. Um, but the same way like Spotify can do things and Netflix can do things, but there's nothing really Spotify can do to make you Taylor Swift. No. <laughs> you have to have your, there's not, like YouTube can make a lot of changes for us, like A-B testing of thumbnails and better surfacing of return versus uh, new viewers. There's a whole bunch of data I'd love to have, but it's not going to make me on KBHD. You know, like I have realistic <laughs> understandings of what the platform can help me with and what I need to do myself. So speaking of MKBHD, uh, I was hosting one of my coffee talk rooms on Clubhouse uh, this morning, and we were talking about uh, the recent uh, Richard Branson going into space. Uh, and people were talking about well, MKBHD be the first YouTuber to go into space. I'm like, probably. <laughs> Renee, do you have any aspirations to going into space, sir? <laughs> I, and, but Marquez would be like, I've been in space for two weeks now. I'm going to share with you some of my thoughts. <laughs> yes, you would, you would. You know, never say never. Um I think I think it would be fun, you know. As some of those vomit comet rides look super fun too, or your anti gravity for a little while. Ticket prices have to come all the way down before, <laughs> before I can afford it. Yeah, or I'm gonna be like, you know, maybe hitchhiking on one of Elon's rides. Definitely. Shout out to those y'all who are listening on audio only this week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Bike Drive with me and my man Renee Ritchie. If you want to go check out his content on YouTube, his info will be in the show notes. So definitely check him out. He is legit. If you would like to support the podcast, there should be a buy me a coffee link in the show notes. Not required, but anything that you're willing to contribute, greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast outlets, please consider leaving a rating or review as it helps more people discover the show, help more people uh, 
find out about Vibe Drive. So if you have to, if you have a moment to do that, please read that rating and review. And once again, thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Drive. Renee, the Apple sure. ecosystem. We uh, we as reviewers and tech people, we always belly who we go gaga over the Apple ecosystem. Uh, I I always like to say that the Apple ecosystem is undefeated because there's not another company out there that has anything remotely close. But my question to you, sir, is: Is there any company out there that has something even like in its infancy that could potentially compete with the Apple ecosystem, like in the next maybe what five, ten, fifteen years? I don't know. What other company out there doing anything like Apple right now, in your opinion? Yeah, that part is really hard, and it's it's almost counterintuitive because you think like. Once, once there's an Ikea, every store should be Ikea. Once there's Lego, every toy should be Lego. You know, but there's always something in an industry that just somebody gets it. And I think what was interesting about Apple is that they're both, um, they're, they're, they're constrained, they're patient, uh, and they, they have a lot of self-discipline. And they managed to make a small amount of products that work really well together because they took a lot of time to build up underlying infrastructures. Like a lot of the stuff that we see now that just, like, just works is because back in iOS 8, they introduced extensibility and continuity. And those just look like a few features back then, but they were really a framework to you know, decompose apps into different binaries, uh, like take apart the binaries away. Like we used to be websites and then Google Maps made web services. And ever since then, you can access like Twitter clients and you can embed APIs. You can do all these wonderful things on the web. And that's what extensibility let you do with apps. And now we have app fragments. And we have all these different things that we can use. And continuity let them not just sync data, but actually pass state along between different uh, devices. So you can copy on one and paste on the other. And Google's done a lot of those things, but Google's, it's a modular ecosystem. They only really control the software stack. And right. they even, even have a bizarre relationship with the Pixel team inside Google. <laughs> it doesn't work the way that that the iOS and the iPhone team oh, uh, works together. Well, they do. It's like for a while, they were like, no, it's not right that we you know talk to the Pixel oh, team more than we talk to other, other vendors. Not appropriate. Like, no, that's why people want the Pixel. Go talk to them. Uh, you know, be friendly. <laughs> so I, I think it's really hard because very few other companies control the, the, the complete stack. Uh, and so we'll see like a hodgepodge. Like every year we get a new version of the Android of AirDrop. Like it's like every Android is finally getting it. Got, finally got AirDrop three years ago. That's <laughs> getting another version of AirDrop. So it, it's going to take a lot of a lot of discipline and a lot of working really closely together. And I, I don't know if they have it. Uh, but I'd love to see it. Microsoft famously for 10 years, Bill Gates was on the CES stage saying, the power of software, everything's going to work together. And it did it. It just, it, that's, that's why I let, I had an Xbox. I had a HP Jornada. I had a Palm Trio Pro. I had a PC gaming computer. I had a PC laptop. And I believed in that, that beautiful dream. And they just didn't give it to me. And so I left and I went to Apple, but I would love to have multiple options of that to choose from. It's funny that you mentioned Google because uh, we we are hearing rumors this year of the Pixel using Google's own system on a chip for the first time ever. So that should be interesting. That kind of goes to your point about nobody having control of the complete stack. They will literally give Google control of the complete stack from hardware to software if they are indeed implementing their own their own chip in the Pixel line of phones this year. However, the big problem with Google, at least from my perspective, is that they have a serious issue of commitment. They, they start a lot of different projects, and then for whatever reason, they just kill them out of nowhere. And it's just kind of crazy. So Google has really got to work on their commitment to different products and services if they want to even have a chance to compete with Apple and their ecosystem. But this Pixel 6 could be an interesting beginning of that because, I mean, there's supposed to be a rumor Pixel Watch out there. 
And then we got the Pixel Stick with their own Google system on a chip that they're working on. So maybe, maybe, I don't know, Renee, maybe. I, I have such high hopes and I, I buy a Pixel almost every year uh, because you know, I always want an Android phone and I, I, I like the idea of the Pixel. But for years, they were just like, I, I don't know who ran the Pixel. Like, was it Rick Osterlo who didn't realize it was going to have crappy battery life till the day it shipped? I mean, what were you doing? What were you doing all year? Like, that's like the, that's your, that's the most important feature to any consumer. What were you doing, sir? Or is it like the CFO who's like, we've got to have an iPhone, make us an iPhone. Or was it the Pixel team going, we need a cheap developer device? Or you know, like all these different people who think they're in charge wanting completely different devices. And some poor jerk is, is like a, in charge of delivering this. They're like, what, is, what are they going to do? It's like they have too many bosses. I, I just, they really need to focus on what they want that product to be. And it's got to be one thing. Like you, it, it can't have four different jobs every year. Listen, Rick, Renee had one question. <laughs> Where were you? Where were yes. you? Where were you? <laughs> like, so, can you imagine somebody at Apple going, oh, we didn't realize this, <laughs> we didn't realize the iPhone, the iPhone didn't have a screen this year. That's kind of important. <laughs> oh, we should have put a screen in it. Oh, God. oh, Renee going in. I love it. I love it. So you kind of got into my next question for you. I'm going to ask you, if you didn't carry an iPhone as your main phone, what would be your main phone? But you just said you buy Pixels every year. So would the Pixel be your main yeah. phone if not for iPhone? It would have until like I, I got super, like I liked the Pixel 4, but it frustrated me because of that lack of direction. And I started looking at, like I saw you with your Bruce Wayne phone, you know, the folding, <laughs> folding uh, Samsung phones, and those are getting more attractive. I, I'm sad that LG left the market. Like, not that they were ever doing any marketing, but I'm sad they left the market. Yeah. Uh, there's just not that many. And then, like, like we we still get Huawei phones in Canada, but you know, they're a mixed bag uh, because of all the, the the disputes that they've been in. So I think I'd probably stick with Pixel, but Samsung could woo me away if they tried. Have you ever had a Samsung device though? I have, I think I had the Galaxy Nexus. I think that was the last Samsung that's device I had. That's a long time ago, Renee. That's like 10 years yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I like, like they were doing things that like weren't like in, uh, the Pixel was was doing things that I liked better for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I usually only get one, like I, I, I can't do like you folks do. I can't change phones every two weeks. It's like, <laughs> it's like having four iPhones is a lot for me. I can't, I don't understand how you guys like change phones every two weeks and like keep your sanity. I'd be like, where's the web browser? Where <laughs> is the web browser? Yeah, the, the, the constant change in the phones, it does get annoying sometimes, but hey, we gotta do what we gotta do. <laughs> um, I, I just, I don't know if it happened to you, but like the new iPad came out, the, the M1 iPad. Yeah. Um, and I went to put my SIM card in it. So I went to the previous, the 2020 iPad and my SIM card wasn't in it. I had to go back to the 2018 iPad because I just hadn't left the house in a year. So like I hadn't needed in the SIM card in the iPad. And I'm like, I can't, I don't know what would happen with phones. Like, where would my SIM card be? Like, I'd be going through a box of three phones. Like, where is this thing? So funny story about the M1 iPad Pro. I brought one, I think it was I think three or four weeks ago now. And I went to activate it. Uh, no, I, I, I went to put a SIM card in or whatever. Or I went to go uh, check uh, the, see if the SIM card was in it. And I'm like, wait a minute, it didn't come with a SIM card. What the hell? So I put one of my older SIM card from my old iPad into it and it started working. But then I found out that uh, the 2021 iPad Pro has an eSIM. <laughs> so, yeah. it, like, it, it doesn't come. The SIM card is naturally built into it. So I, I, I'm like, wow, Fiber, that's just that was a goofy moment. But yeah. So eventually the eSIM started working because I thought it was kind of strange when I took the, my SIM that I put in it, I took it out and it was still working. I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell? Is it? Oh, it has an eSIM. Okay. I don't that, think we have good eSIM options in Canada yet. I, I think we're still working our way on that. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I got an interesting question for you. Um, I kind of talked about this in my last podcast, but given that you are 
all about Apple. I would love to get your thoughts on this. Renee, I don't know what Apple can do more with the iPhone. Obviously, the big rumor this year is them finally including the 120 hertz uh, promotion display. But other than that, I don't know how Apple can make iPhone better. What, what would you like to see on iPhone that we haven't had on an iPhone yet? Because I'm I'm hard pressed to come up with anything else right now. I still find like I, I know I, I sympathize with people who think that smartphones are like you know they're they're good enough, but I'm like they still annoy the hell out of me on a daily basis. <laughs> like battery life still isn't good enough. Scratch resistance still isn't good enough. Oh my Camera goodness. systems still aren't good enough. Like they're great, don't get me wrong, but like they're they're still tiny little camera lenses that don't do everything like that a full photography rig gives you, especially for video. The video is still not you know we don't get like that creamy bokeh like you've got right now on your on your camera and you know they're working on it but they're not there yet and right. there's all sorts of like usability things like the waterproofing I, where's my underwater camera i should be able to go diving and it should computationally correct for water deformation for me like there's just so many things that like i should be able to have a camera and like that should be my one thing on tom hanks island forget that stupid soccer ball if i have a little camera with a wig and a face on it that that should be my companion on that island it should do everything i possibly need it to do and until we're there I, i'm gonna keep complaining Man, Apple should definitely come to you when they need to think about improvements to the iPhone because you got it down. You got a whole list. <laughs> I do, but I think that's good because, you know, like, oh, yeah. like never stop. Like, there, it's not like the big whiz bang wow. If, like, I remember 2007, we got the iPhone. 2009, we got the Palm Pre. Uh, we got some really good, like the Nexus, the original Google Nexus phone, the Nexus One. Um, and, and there were just some really, really cool phones coming out year over year. And now I get it. They're very similar year over year, but it's like, don't stop. You know, keep going. And you're not done yet. I will say, though, the one thing that I think is half past time for Apple to include on iPhones are dual biometric points of entry. For the longest time, it's either, it's either been Touch ID or Face yeah. ID, never both. It is time, especially after the pandemic. I mean, if the pandemic can fold the iPhone for only having one biometric point of entry, Renee. Are we finally going to get dual biometric points of entry with an iPhone 13 or 12S, whatever the hell they call it this year? Well, you, you bring up another thing. This annoys me. Why do I have to do the biometrics on my phone? I, I bought a phone, so I shouldn't have to do that. Like, it should be always like taking snippets of my face, listening to utterances of my voice, doing the motion tracking that it's doing for the mobility stuff. They just announced the mobility stuff. It can do gate analysis. And then if I touch the screen, take a bit of my fingerprint and just know that it's me. And then if you get really confused, like if you're really confused, I'm in an odd place doing something, then challenge me. Say, sorry, we've lost track of who you are. You're going to have to touch ID or do a full face scan or my voice is my password or something. But otherwise, leave me alone. Just like know that it's me and be open for me to use it. Right. Like I shouldn't have to do any. This is your job. So my get better. Man, my man said his iPhone should be a 24-7 Walmart. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Like. Where's where's my Amazon? Like Jeff Bezos tried to make a Fire Phone. He was so obsessed with parallax scrolling. He didn't make a shopping phone. Amazon had one job: make a shopping phone. They see they're not good enough yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow. <laughs> I mean, but you bring up an interesting point though about the iPhone always being contextually aware of who you, who's using it. Yeah. That 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 I I mean I mean theoretically there should be no reason why I mean the technology is out there for them to do that today. They they. They should be able to do it with the technology that's out there today, but maybe maybe yeah. something's missing. I don't know, but they're yeah. working on it. It's just like it's a like it's just a threshold of trust, and there's just there's too much firing right now for them to handle in a battery efficient yeah oh uh, yeah. way yeah um yeah. but that'll come and then I'm and then, like we won't have to worry about it anymore. Be like I know you're Viper, like it's open, it's cool. Go <laughs> ahead, do your order your Starbucks. We're ready. 
yeah, probably the biggest limitation on that would be battery life, definitely. Yeah. And the cost, because all those sensors, they like every time you add that, that's like spend Tim Cook's money is all of our favorite jobs. But you know, like they when you look at a price of the phone, then you figure, well, it's got touch ID or face ID. I put both in, is it like 50 bucks more? You know, what is that price point at that point? And what point does it become unbearable for people? Yeah, definitely. So I got to talk to you about the big Apple controversy of 2021 so far. iPad. So let's talk about this real quick because I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. So iPad Pro 2021 came out about a month or a month and a half or a month or so before WWDC. Apple introduces two terabyte storage options, eight gigabytes and 16 gigabytes of RAM option for the iPad. So all of us tech people were like, all right, two terabytes of storage, 16 gigabytes of RAM. Clearly, Apple has other purposes for this iPad that we just don't know about yet. WWDC is around the corner. Let's see what happens at WWDC. So WWDC comes and goes, and we're looking at the keynote, and we're watching Craig Federici announce these things. They're like, what? There's nothing. What is this? What? iPad OS is doing nothing. Where, where's our Final Cut Pro? Where's our Mac OS like iPad feature? What is going on? There's nothing here to suggest. There's nothing that's going to use the power of the iPad. Nothing. So the now people are talking about how I think we've come to the realization that Apple just wants the iPad to be an iPad. Um, they're not going to put Mac OS on the iPad or anything like that. I think you've talked about this a lot. Uh, Steve Jobs, oh, I'm pretty sure he was quoted back in the day as saying that he does not care if uh, if a product cannibalizes another product as long as Apple is the one doing the cannibalizing. Yep. So, obviously, unfortunately, Steve Jobs passed away in 2011. Tim Cook has been CEO for 10 years. Renee, the iPad is at a place right now where it could literally be the, the do-all device. And I, mean, I mean, it is for a large segment of people, but it could do even more than what it's capable of right now. Do you believe that Tim Cook and uh, the higher-ups over there are maybe now, maybe they're afraid of cannibalizing sales if they make the iPad too OP? I mean, I, I, what, what well, is holding the iPad back? I don't think, I, well, so it's hard because people get so emotional about this kind of stuff. But like, if we go back to Steve Jobs, his, his goal was to relentlessly democratize computing technology. He made the Apple II so that people could have computers on their desktops at home and wouldn't have to go to big mainframes. And then he made the Macintosh so that people could use graphical interfaces and wouldn't have to learn you know, to code all the time just to use their computers. And then he made the iPad. And for him, he said that was the most important device he ever made because it was a computer that people from the age of five to 95 could use. You know, It was direct manipulation. And he did not want it to be a Mac because there already was a Mac. But right. even the Mac wasn't accessible, approachable, for enough people, even really smart people, doctors and lawyers and architects and, you know, all sorts of people, they just, they did not care about computers. It's like, I just need to do my job. I don't care about all your stupid computer nonsense. I don't care about your file systems. I don't care about your program. None of that. That's a very like tech Twitter, tech YouTuber point of view. Yeah. And we all love to think we're the majority opinion. Oh, we're man. a tiny minority. We're why the iPhone mini is not selling. Yeah. We all want the iPhone mini, <laughs> but you know, the normal humans are like, give me a bigger screen, please. Right, and thank right. you. Exactly. So, so there, there is a contingent of like nerds who really want the iPad to be, you know, to be a, their new Mac, but they already have the Mac. Like nerds already have the Mac, they have Windows, they have Android, they have all the different Unix flavors. Mainstream computing people really only have iOS and Chrome OS. And because we think the hardware is hot, we want to take their iOS away. <laughs> like, it's like, just give us that too. And I'm not like religiously opposed to it. If Apple wants to do a dual boot system eventually, or do uh, like virtualization so you can run Mac OS on it, because like, you're, you know, a grown apps adult and you just want to do that. I think that's fine. But I don't think we should do anything that makes the iPad into a Mac, because like 
go yell and say, make the Mac better. If like, if you really just want a Mac, I say, give me a touchscreen Mac, you know, like go yell about the Mac, leave the iPad to the 80% of the rest of humanity. And, and it's just like, I, I have this issue with modern like tech culture because we like the speed to rage is so fast. You'll get articles up. Apple has 12 gigabytes of RAM, but they'll only let you use six gigabytes. And please go to developer.apple.com before you write that article and just look at how memory management is handled on an iPad and then still write your article, but at least include like the iPad has no swap. There's no concept of swap on the iPad. On the Mac, when you're under memory pressure, it just pages out to the disk and then it swaps those pages back and forth. So you can have a ton of apps running at the same time. The iPad doesn't do that. Everything is live in memory. That's why it's so fast. It's because everything is instant. And the minute there's memory pressure, it just it uses Jetsum, which is like, it just yotes, like in Mr. Beast parlance, it just yotes the app out of memory. And then you go back and it's got to reload the tab or reload the app and you get angry. But 12 gigabytes, 16 gigabytes of RAM lets it keep like two, three big apps in memory at the same time. And most apps don't need anywhere near, like LumaFusion doesn't need anywhere near that. If you're doing Procreate and you have a gazillion layers, yeah, you can really take advantage of that. And they made a new API so that Procreate can ask for more memory when it's available and get it. Because then if you're like really focused on Procreate, you're probably not using three or four other apps at the same time. And when you leave Procreate, it'll give that memory back. But we, we, we just go like zero to angry faster than a Tesla Roadster these days. And I wish people would just take the time. Still, like you can love it or hate it, but at least love or hate it smart. Yeah, like you said, the hot take flow. And I'm pretty sure I've been guilty myself a few times of hot takes in the past. I I've gotten a lot better with that over the last couple of years. But yeah, sometimes I think uh, we as the vocal minority are so loud that uh, we don't take the time to think about things logically before we put our, our, our hot takes and yeah, we, we don't we don't think about these things all the way through before that. But uh, yeah, you're right. Um, that vocal minority about the iPhone 12 mini was loud. But when the sales yeah. came out, where where are you? Where again? Where are you? <laughs> Seriously, where but you are saw you? that on Twitter, right? It's like we would get these tweets saying, I want a small iPhone and I know all of my friends would buy it. Why is Apple not making us a small iPhone? And like, my response was, well, previously they had a small and cheap iPhone and that's a pretty big market. Now they have a cheap iPhone. That doesn't leave a lot of market for a small iPhone. And ter turns out, you know, you, you got to go where the customers are. Yeah. Again, it's all about having the data and analyzing the data to make data-driven decisions. We might get an iPhone 13 mini this year or a 12S mini, but we're probably not yeah. getting one past this year because the data, the numbers don't, don't support it. So why would Apple keep making a product that's not selling? They're not going to do that. So it is what it is. And, yeah. no and if it sold well, loud, we'd see a ton of Android exactly. mini phones this year. We didn't. <laughs> no how loud the vocal minority is, if the numbers don't support the, the inclusion of an iPhone 12 mini in the lineup, it's not going to be in the lineup. I mean, it, it literally makes no business sense. So that's how that goes. Well, Sonny's saying the mini would be amazing if it was $99. And, and Apple, they made, instead of like the original iPhone SE, it was the cheapest iPhone and the smallest iPhone. So you got both those customers. But the iPhone SE 2 was the was the cheap iPhone this year. And they put an OLED display and a 5G modem in the mini, which are two very expensive things. Yeah. So the mini was very expensive. And that's not, it turns out people who like small phones and have that much money are like Andrew Edwards and, and me. <laughs> yeah. $99 for a new iPhone. Not happening. Not happening. But, uh, you all, uh, we have reached the Q and a portion of the podcast. Mr. Andrew Edwards, you're on Vibe Drive. What's up, baby? Hey, what's happening guys? How you doing? Love you, Andrew. Hey, same to you too. Um, I'm just over here 
doing some video editing, listening to uh, listening to the conversation, enjoying it as always. Um, and I had a, it's not so much a question, but I had something that's been on my mind over the past week that I don't, I don't really have the answer to. And I think it's more of a statement than a, than a question, but I think it's something that needs to be kind of brought up for educating the masses. So talking about the iPad pro in particular, like, like you guys just were, mm -hmm. I was, I was of a similar mindset where I was hoping, I didn't expect, but I had hope. Let's see what Apple does to set the iPad Pro apart, right? But then they didn't do it, and they gave us uh, iPad OS 15. I think it's pretty good, um, but obviously there were disappointments for people who are seemingly in one particular sector of the user base. If you want Final <laughs> Cut Pro or Logic, you're disappointed, but if those two things aren't... Uh, what you want, and, and you're fine not having Mac OS on your iPad, then you're cool. But I started to look at the Mac, and I started to, I think I'm, I think you have to look at the whole product line to understand what's going on. When you look at the Mac, I think we would all agree, when you look at a MacBook Air, you compare it to a Mac Pro, two totally different sides of the equation, those are two totally different use cases, right? One is the Pro machine, one is the entry-level machine. Right. They both run something called Mac OS. They run the exact same operating system. So if the $1,000 computer and the $50,000 computer run the same operating system, why are we expecting the $700 computer and the $1,100 computer to have two totally different experiences? Because internet, Andrew. I think Apple did. I think Apple did mishandle expectations. Though that whole um, scene of of uh, Tim Cook being Mission Impossible and going to steal the M1 when he's the boss, he just says, "Put the M1 in." They're like, "Yes, sir." How fast, sir? You know, he doesn't have to sneak in and do that. But I think that's yeah. No, I, I think that misset expectations because people had mentally associated M1 with the Mac, and to them that was a sign that he was putting the Mac into the iPad. I think maybe they, they could have handled that messaging just to not set expectations that way. That, I mean, yes, although that was a, uh, a comedy spot and less of a mess, less of a message. Yeah. Um, but I'm, 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 when people say the iPad is going to be just an iPad, I feel like that, that also isn't exactly capturing what's happening. What you can do with an iPad Pro versus what you can do with an iPad Mini, with which both run the same operating system, you can do way more with one than the other. You can do way more with an iPad today than you could two years ago before the Magic Keyboard was available. You can do more today more easily, or once iPad OS 15 ships, with the much more easier to use multitasking than the one that currently ships, which is scary to use because you don't know what gesture you're going to accidentally do to <laughs> lose your place or bring something up and not know how to put it away. So I just think there's a, I think Apple has a well thought out plan for the iPad that they have not communicated. And the more I think about this and the more I try to compare the iPad to other products in their product line, I feel like it becomes clearer but there's still more questions on my side than answers, but I'm not as offended by not having the iPad Pro be on a totally different software plane than the rest of the iPads in the lineup. 
Yeah. And there were people at Apple who said, who thought that iOS 6 was the furthest that they should go, who kept like, they didn't allow them to ship AirDrop for like two years saying it was too complicated. And then Craig took over and he's like, I'm way nerdier. I'm going to ship all this stuff. You know, and he's been like ratcheting up their nerdiness every year. So it's, Remember it's, the files it's interesting to see the that dynamic. Yeah. So long. Forever. Yeah. And, and they even had, they had, sorry. Okay. To your point, Andrew, uh, Apple never put out any messaging about the iPad getting pro-level apps or Mac OS. I mean, even though Tim Cook came down from the ceiling and put the M1 yes. chip into the <laughs> iPad. Right. Like, like, like you said, it was comedy. It was never any intended messaging on Apple part. I think a tech nerd got inside of the potential possibility. But as I was talking to Renee earlier, we always, at Tech Review, we teach people, you buy the tech for what it does today, not for what yeah. you think it might do tomorrow. And even we, as tech, uh, tech media, we kind of failed at that with the iPad Pro this year because we were had we had all these expectations <laughs> for WWDC, and then when we got let down, we wouldn't be mad, but we should have known better. Literally, I agree. I got two more points, and I let someone else take over. Um, number one, uh, first point: the iPad Pro seems to be the only device in the history of technology where people are mad that it's too powerful. I never hear this. I never. My MacBook Pro has. My MacBook Pro is too powerful. This. I never hear that. My Mac Pro has too much power. My my iPhone is too. I never hear this. Only on the iPad Pro. My Apple Watch is OP. Right. Um, and secondly, uh, Viper. Do you know Chris Lawley? Yes. You should have him on, Chris. Yeah. If if you think if anybody out there thinks that the iPad does not do Pro level work mm -hmm. and have Pro level apps. Just talk to Chris. Oh, this yeah. man will educate you and show you apps on the iPad that will absolutely dumbfound you unless you are in the industry that they're meant for. That's yep. it. That's it for me. Great yep. show as always. Appreciate you, man. We'll look at uh, Jonathan Morrison a, editing. Oh, yeah, editing on Luma Fusion without any Final Cut Pro worries at all. <laughs> yeah, I've actually had Chris Lolly on the podcast before, but I will probably have to bring him back just so we can talk bring about him back. That would, that would be awesome. good. Yo, Andrew, I appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Hang out, man. I might have to bring you back if we got time. Thank I'll you. stay. I'll, I'll stick around. Oh, yeah. Stick around, man. Appreciate you. Yo, Mr. Ranger fan. What's up, man? You're on Vibe Drive. What's going on, guys? Uh, it's Jonathan here. Just uh, wanted to jump in and really just thank you for an awesome show as always. And to Renee, it's always oh, good to thank you, man. You on. And with the, uh, you know, you've seen me follow you guys for quite some time. And uh, I definitely just wanted to, actually just wanted to hit upon that point you made in the beginning about you know, by um, referring to that comment you posted, that was very courageous of you. And like, put yourself out there is, is what you guys do is unbelievable. And you know, just keep doing you because both you guys you. and Andrew, you as well. Like, you know, what you guys do for us and as tech fans, like growing the community and growing our passion is is unbelievable. So, nothing specific, but I just wanted to make sure that I got on and told you that you know. I'm 100% behind all you guys. If I was as ridiculously good looking as Andrew or Viper, I wouldn't have to worry about anything. <laughs> Renee. <laughs> Yo, Jonathan, man, I appreciate you, sir. Thank you, man. Appreciate the love, bro. Always, bro. No doubt. Renee, uh, while yes, I have sir. you here, iOS 15, well, not iOS 15, but you know, iOS 15 and Apple's upgrade to Apple Music. Now, obviously, you get a little bit more with iOS 15 because you get to the head track included. But have you experienced these upgrades to Apple Music, Renee? Have you tried them out? For your yeah, man. Yeah, they're all. I mean, like some of the some of the mixes are kind of lazy. Like some of them just look like they threw them out. But when you find a good one, like Ooh. where they actually took the time to place everything spatially, like some of those tracks 
are just like it's a whole new experience. It's like being in the middle of a concert. It's amazing. Man, it is mind blowing, Renee. It is a beautiful thing. Oh my goodness. But Michael Pepper, you're on vibe job. What's up, bro? How you doing? Good. So I have a couple questions for Renee. One, if he could sit down with either Steve Jobs, obviously, you know, he would have to be reincarnate, or <laughs> Cook to have a meeting and just discuss whatever he wanted, which would he choose and why? Ooh. So that this is like this is where I'm a complete jerk uh, in answering this because I've gotten to talk to Tim several times and I've never gotten to really talk to Steve. I only saw him in passing once. Uh, so just because I've never had a chance to do it, I would love to to be able to talk to Steve, knowing full well he might three seconds in just call me a bozo and walk away, or slide over an envelope and be like, "Just take this money." And go. <laughs> no, he, no, he's not like that. He's my favorite. One of my favorite Steve Jobs stories is when the New York Times called him. And he goes, "Look, I know you think I'm an a hole, and I think that you're a scumbag reporter. But let's just get through this." <laughs> my other question is, if you were to be acquired to head a program or department at Apple for a product or service that doesn't currently exist, what would you choose and why? Ooh, Mike, we had a hard question. Man. Yeah, so I, I actually can't answer this I, I because there's like, um, I've had, I, I, I'm not going to comment on this. I, I have certain ideas and I don't, I don't want to put them in jeopardy by, uh, by discussing them. But I, I do, I do have ideas that I would like to that I would like to see there, and if I could contribute, it, that'd be great. Would it be a product or a service? Can we at least get that? I'm a product guy. I, I was in product marketing for a long time, and I and it was always product related, not services related. So I'm not adverse to services, but I feel like I personally know and understand products better. Cool. Hey, Michael, appreciate you coming up with the question, sir. Thank you. Of course, you know I always try to come on with those. Uh, <laughs> things that make people think so i appreciate it thank you renee for answering and uh i will be you, watching the rest of the stream all right appreciate awesome. you man thank Sonny you dixon just admitted he's watching us on apple glass guys intolerable <laughs> telling you all the time and all the time so i don't need you to go into great detail renee but i do have an interesting question for you uh we kind of talked about this, but i've never asked you this directly this question anyway have you ever been offered a job at apple you know i i've the best way I can answer that is like everyone I've worked with at IMOR is working at Apple. So like it's it's safe to assume um, that I've had discussions. But that is I have very different I have very different circumstances than they do. That is the most G14 classified answer I've ever had on a podcast. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, that's great. He said I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Okay. <laughs> Too great, but we've talked about this before. But it is absolutely incredible how a lot of your coworkers have end up landing jobs at Apple. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I I just think I was lucky enough to get to work with them for a while before Apple realized how good they were. Definitely, definitely, no doubt, man, no doubt. So, how cool is it to see Serenity on Apple's YouTube channel? How amazing is that? That is, I mean, I mean, I'm not surprised. She's very talented, but man, I'm yeah, crazy. It's always interesting seeing people go from iMore to Apple, like. I'm like, yeah. it keeps happening over and over and over again. Yeah. Eventually, you have to understand that there's a common denominator to all of that. And I'm getting you. It's literally you. You're the common denominator, man. I, well, no, I mean, I have very Apple-like sensibilities. And they worked, they lived and worked in places that were very easy for Apple to get to. So I mean, It's kind of funny because I said this like a, a year or so ago, and Andrew ever got on with me. He was like, yo, Viper, don't take anything away from the people that the, the people that work with Renee because they're amazing. And I'm not taking anything away from those, those ladies. No, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. 
but you are the common denominator, man. As long as I've known you worked in Ibor, people that work with you have ended up at the spaceship. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah. That, uh, well, I mean, Apple went through a period like they hired most of Macworld staff. They hired a lot of iMore staff. They were really staffing up. And those are people that they knew understood Apple. I think that's what made them really attractive. And I was just lucky enough to, like I said, to have worked with them for a little while first. Can we talk about the buffoonery that is Apple not allowing Game Pass to be native on, <laughs> on the App Store? It's so short-sighted. It's like like Netflix is coming out. Oh, I'm sorry. You've got to put every one of your shows in iTunes. Um, or you can make a web client. Uh, just give me my game streaming. It's like the it's the future. Go ahead, Andrew. Talk it up. What, what you got to say about this? Um, I'm I'm just in, in full agreement. Um, well, first of all, can I say kudos to Microsoft for taking that restriction and actually making something that works like magic? I'm shocked at how well it works in Safari. I'm shocked. It shouldn't work. It should not work as good as it does, and yet it does. But imagine what it could be if it was just a native app. I yeah. don't get yeah. this is one of these draconian. Everyone says I defend everything Apple does. This is something I can't defend. It's a draconian yeah. rule. It doesn't make sense. And the the reasons that people, the haters say that the reason that Apple doesn't allow it, those don't make sense either. This isn't about Apple Arcade. That's not a streaming service. This, it, it's a rule that they implemented so long ago that it seems like you're just like, well, that's the rule. We, we can't allow it because yeah. that's the rule. But you, made, you made the rule. <laughs> you made the rule. Yeah. It's like if, if my if my kid says, if, if their bedtime is 8 p.m. and they're like, can I go to bed at 9? I'm like, no, well, the rule's 8. I can't do it. Yes, I can. I, I, I made the rule. You can change they have the rule. Like, the they have Spotify, even though they have Apple Music, and they have Netflix, even though they have Apple TV. Nobody cares about Apple Arcade to that extent. It's just like, like you said, they, we made a rule. We made a rule, and we're not going to change it. Please change it's it. Time to, and and it, remember when they said they were they were putting out the the methodology for developers to challenge rules more easily. Yes. If this isn't a rule that can be like if if this isn't something that they can look at and say, you know what, maybe it's time to update this. I don't know what is. So for I'm me, like one of the things I always used to say about the difference, like if you're if you're complaining about the App Store, just go to Google Play and show me an app that Apple doesn't allow that's changing the world. Because the App Store has Instagram, it has Uber, it has DoorDash, like it has all of these apps that are so important to us every day. And I couldn't find anything that you could do on Google Play that you couldn't do on the App Store. And now congratulations, there's Game Pass and Stadia. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of alternate app stores, correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard forget where apple apps on android don't pay the 30 percent tax they only pay what google requires so like if if google demands it they'll pay it but they're not going to give them the money <laughs> that's uh very very interesting it's just very google only cares about game like google really seems to only care about taking 30 percent of games that seems to be their whole thing which is why they have peace with with epic they'll let everything else slide but you gotta give you gotta pay your gaming dues Listen, Spotify, you're going to pay us our 30%, but when we put Apple Music on Google Play, <laughs> we're cool not paying it. Oh, God. I don't think Spotify is too. I think they're allowed alternate payments as well. I, um, I think it's really just games that Google insists on, on in-app 30% payments for. Sure. I just find it funny that a company that is so against alternate payments is cool using alternate payments elsewhere. Yep. That's all I'm yep. saying. Uh, Letter of the law, not the spirit. The hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. See, see, us Apple lovers can also be critical when they're wrong. Yeah. It's like I said, I just want you to hate Apple. Like, if you hate Apple, please just hate them smart. Don't have like some dumbass reason to hate them. Hate them for like <laughs> really good reasons.
Yeah, I, I actually I made a video, I think, defending Apple not putting uh, Game Pass on iOS. However, what I can't defend like you guys is Apple giving or Apple having a different set of rules for different apps. Um, they like there's some apps they charge 15 percent and some apps they charge 30 percent and different things there. They don't they don't evenly distribute their rules across the entire app store. And that's where I have a problem, because that's just that it's going to lead to. The conflict. Why? Why? What are you doing? Well, let, me, crazy. let me devil's advocate that for a second, because like one of the biggest problems I have with the whole Epic Apple lawsuit is the analysis, because like almost all the media outlets treat them like they're not businesses. It's like, like if you have a big customer, you give them better deals. That's just how business works. Like if Amazon says we want a better deal, you're like, you're Amazon. Of course you want a better deal. Like Apple's like, we want a better deal from our suppliers. All these companies like, oh my God, Apple asked for, a, Amazon asked for a better deal. Yes. Yes. <laughs> McDonald's gets a better deal. I mean, Staples uh, gets a better deal. Like any big company gets a better, that the, the amount of people who don't understand that like in Epic too, I, I think Epic hired terrible lawyers and has a bad strategy, but they're a company. They should be trying to get every penny that they can get. That's business. I'm not like of course. mad at them. And the workflow for, for Apple to say, we treat every company the same. All the workflow has to do at step one is Okay, we're putting everybody into this workflow. Step one, are you a big company? If yes, you go this way. If no, you go that way. Then everybody still was treated the same. They got through step one. So yeah, if, if you're a big business with leverage, you're going to use that leverage however you can. Yeah. 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 Apple just shouldn't say we treat everybody equally. I think that's a bad move on their part because it's so easy to prove that they don't. Yep. Uh, and it makes it, it makes them seem disingenuous when they say it. It should just be like, we treat everyone according to their ability to hurt us. It's basically what we do. <laughs> That's one way of putting it. Absolutely. Oh, here we go. We got a question for Steve. All right. What's up, Steve? Uh, Steve, here's the question for both. What do you think of the current trend of discovering features on iOS, watchOS, or iPadOS that are in a sensibility menu, such as mouse support, haptic feedback, uh, et cetera? You know, to be honest, Steve, I haven't really looked too much into it, but I know Apple is one of the better companies that adding a sensibility feature to, to make their product more sensible to people that that don't have the full sensibility that normal folks have. So Apple is pretty good. Renee, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I'm not sure what the question is. I know that like, uh, you know, friend of the show, Steve Aquino, who does a lot of accessibility journalism, gets really upset when people says that they see these features are hidden because he's like, they're not hidden. They're accessibility features. They're in the accessibility menu. Stop being stop being like a jerk to accessibility communities. And I, and I feel that really deeply. It's just these are features that are designed to make the iPhone useful to people who have lower no vision, lower no hearing, lower no tactility. And they're really, really good features for them. And oftentimes, like smart inverse colors becomes dark mode and cursor support becomes full on cursor functionality. So it's an incredibly creative group at Apple, a really, really good team. And it ends up benefiting a lot of people. So I, I have, uh, I'm, I'm happy that Apple keeps putting so much emphasis on accessibility. Absolutely. I mean, a big a company as Apple is, I mean, they should definitely be leading by example when it comes to accessibility and being as inclusive as possible with their products. And I think they do a pretty good job at that. So kudos to Apple. Well, we got Oscar in the Twitter face. Oscar, you're on Vibe Drive. What's up, bro? What's up, guys? How you doing? Doing good, man. How you doing? Good. I got a question for both of you, actually. Okay. Um, With the last, I feel like the last couple of years, like everything's already been leaked and all that. What has been like that one thing that I guess not even just Apple, just that anyone has released that you guys were actually like surprised with, or, like happy with or shocked with, you know, um, that maybe wasn't leaked or even or it was leaked, but like you didn't believe the leak. Like, what's that one feature that you're like, OK, this is cool. All right. For me, this is easy. 
Uh, somehow I must have completely missed it. I was told that it was actually, but I must have missed it completely. But when Apple came out on stage at WWDC last year and announced picture and picture for iOS, I was like, oh my God, oh my goodness. <laughs> my, my inner child was dancing all over my, oh, it was. It, it just made my soul smile. It's the little things, Mike. Man. I, I didn't know. I didn't know it was coming. I had no idea that was coming. So when they announced it, I was just over the moon. What, what, what would you say, Renee? Uh, when I saw that assistive touch for Apple Watch demo, where you're just clenching your fist or pinching, and you're controlling the Apple Watch completely by that, that was like one of those magic moments because like it it, it hadn't leaked. Apple just put up that video, and I watched it like three, four times, going, "No, what? No, <laughs> what?" I was like Jake Peralta on on Brooklyn Nine Nine. No. What? And it was just, I, it, it looked like magic. That is pretty cool. Right. And, uh, Andrew, uh, Viper, you know, you know your answer, you know your answer is supposed to be Game Pass versus what you thought yeah. is versus what it is. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. wait, what That's about, what about Game Pass? I'm confused. Game Pass, what you thought about it six months ago. Oh! Was, well, what is it, eight months ago? <laughs> what you thought about it today. You had a totally different outlook versus now. Oh, I think genuinely, it, I think it surprised you. I think it surprised you what it turned out to be. I, I didn't know all those months ago that Microsoft would move so aggressively to make the service better. Like, kudos to them because what they've done from then until now with Game Pass has been nothing short of incredible. I mean, damn. You got PlayStation game coming out on Game Pass day one. What? A PlayStation game? A PlayStation exclusive coming to Game Pass day one? What what are we talking about here? What, what bizarre world is this? So just to see the way Microsoft has been moving aggressively with Game Pass, absolutely I've changed my tune. It's, it's incredible. So <laughs> I got you on that one. I, I feel like we were kind of so let down with Stadia where like Game Pass is just like, oh, here we go again. But no, nah, I think, Andrew, you're right. Like that was one of those where everyone's like, oh, this actually works and it works well. No doubt. Yo, Aka, I appreciate you coming up with the question, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me up here. No problem. All right, so we got a question in the YouTube chat from Ikin, and he says, "Why do you guys think it is app?" Uh, he says, "Why do you guys think it is that Apple doesn't have a more consumer or prosumer-oriented desktop tower, having a modular or semi-modular Mac that doesn't make my wallet cry? It's a dream." Yeah, Mac Mac Pro Mini, the <laughs> X Mac, the, the mythical X Mac who've been wanting for ten years. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I, I guess Apple just figured, figured if you want a smaller tower or whatever, get a Mac Mini and be done with it. I don't know. Yeah, they're not big on. Uh, like, I, I think like Tim Cook has a pivot table somewhere that says cost of making it money that I will make from doing it. And then if it doesn't like vastly, if, if like if they don't think enough people are going to buy it, because again, this is like the iPhone Mini. Everyone on Twitter wants it, but that's not enough people to buy it. And they're already doing that with like the Lamborghini. Mac Pros. I just think it's not, they don't probably think there's a big enough market for it. The Mac Pro, though, I was just uh, thinking about this the other day. Mac Pro came out in 2019. We're now mid 2021. That whole thing about being modular and having the MPX modules, they haven't, they released MPX modules on day one. And then they released a new, like, lower end video card MPX module. And then nothing, like, nothing. Yep. There has not been a new MPX module in about a year for a computer that came out in 2019, like for half of its lifetime. So they made this modular Mac with this new connector that there's no new products for. No, and they were supposed to release a Xeon and Big Navi update for it. They just never came. And I don't know if Justin Long just pissed them off so much they decided not to release it uh, or what happened. But that that the longer it takes, the less likely that is to happen now. 
Definitely. So we got a question in the YouTube chat from Toad. He says, what's your favorite M1 Mac? Any idea for that? Mm. For me, it's the Air, just because that to me lives up on every promise of the M1. It's just, it is such a small, light computer that has proven to be so, so powerful and with such long battery life. It's it's like when the, when the MacBook Air redefined a generation of Ultrabooks, it, it didn't get a new design, so I can't go that far with this, but it's just, it, it delivers, it makes the MacBook Air special again. It delivers on that promise of an ultralight. Yeah, people have been raving about the MacBook Air, so it's nice to see that the progress that Apple has made with that particular MacBook. We have Carl Matthews on Vibe Drive. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing good, man. How can we help you tonight? Yeah, I want to ask a question relating to Canada. Uh, where would be the best place to buy computer parts in Canada? Renee, this is all you, buddy. Oh, this feels like a Linus Tech Tips question. <laughs> um, I don't know because I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm an Apple user, so all my stuff is, you know, pre-built. Um, but I, I think that's the, it's basically the same stores that you have in the U.S. I'm sure we have Canadian versions of all of them. Go to go to Linus's site, probably the forums there. They'll have a whole list. I, I forget the one that he used to work for, um, but they're all really well known. And there's probably a bunch of like little one-off computer shops that, that in malls and things that have good stuff. Got it. All right, cool. Thanks. And thank you, man. Newegg. Genosis nailed it. Newegg. There we go. Uh, there you go. Newegg. There you go. All right, so since we got Andrew here, I'll ask you what I asked earlier, Andrew. iPhone, man, I mean, I don't know how much better Apple can make the iPhone. I don't know what else they can do to improve upon iPhone. Obviously, we know that the 120 hertz promotion is probably coming this year. But Andrew, in your opinion, what can Apple, what else can they do to make the iPhone better? Like, what can they add that we haven't had on iPhone yet? That's always uh, my favorite thing, actually, is thinking about that because I feel like, I've said the same thing maybe for five years now. Um, <laughs> I even did a video with Renee where he was like asking me these questions. And I was like, when it comes to iPhone, I just don't know because I feel like I always feel like we've hit the peak in my mind. Well, I know we haven't, but you know, it's, it's, it's why Apple is Apple and why Samsung is Samsung, et cetera, is that they can see further into the future than what I can. I look at my iPhone or my Galaxy, or my Pixel, and I say, for what this is meant for, this is doing a really great job. Um, could the cameras be better? Yes. Could the screen have more fluidity to, it, fluidity to it? Sure. Can it have longer battery life? Sure. But those are all like things that already exist, right? I'm sure there are things coming that we don't even realize can be a thing. And I honestly think the power of the iPhone and Android devices, to be honest, really lies in the software and not the hardware. When I saw such a tiny feature, when I saw in iOS 15, the shared with you. So if someone sends you a message with a link to a podcast or a news article or a song or a TV show, now, if you go into Apple Music or Apple News or podcasts, it'll, it'll show you right there. Here's the stuff your friends have sent you. That is such a game changer because for me, if you send me a podcast and messages and I don't look at it for a couple of weeks and we have an active message thread, now I'm scrolling, 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 trying to find it. I can't use search because I don't remember the name of the podcast. This just surfaces information. This is a feature that is practical, useful, and kind of shows the power of the ecosystem. And I think these features are more important than you know the camera has takes in more light this year or something like that. So I think I think it's really how the software enables the hardware. Um, but I don't have a good answer. I don't know. I, this is one of those things where I love being surprised by what 
all all the companies do, not just Apple. This is why I love tech. I feel like there are things that we'll be able to do tomorrow that we can't even imagine today. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I don't want to call Andrew on that, but I know what he wants. I know what he wants in his, I know what's what screaming in his heart. He wants an iPhone that he can walk outside, slam it on the ground, it turns into a Tesla. He can drive it till he gets home, get out, picks it up, it's a phone, and texts somebody, goes inside, throws it against the wall, turns to 120 inch TV. He can sit there and watch the game. You know, that, that, that's all he wants. He wants an Autobot. It's fine. You can admit it. The Apple, the Apple Tesla collab will be even better than the Apple HP collab. Oh, yeah, God. nice. That's too funny. Well played. That is too funny. So we got a question on YouTube from Nizar here, and he says, uh, what version of Apple TV will support special audio and which one will support HomePod Mini as a default speaker? So it's not really a version of the Apple TV. It, in the latest uh, the tvOS beta, if you attach it to a Dolby Atmos receiver, you'll get spatial audio. And it uses a sort of a neat hack because there's no sensors in the Apple TV. Wherever you're looking, for the longest period of time, it assumes that the television is there, uh, and then treats the treats the soundstage as originating on that on that focal point. So if you if you have a Dolby Atmos receiver and you stare at the direction of your TV for for a few seconds, you'll get the spatial audio. There you go, man. There you go. This is an interesting one from the world of dark. Do you believe in leaps? Hmm. That's that's kind of like one of those like major philosophical question do you they happen whether we believe in them or not <laughs> i mean but i think it's deeper than that i think i think what he means is like it's deeper and like i think it's like a more philosophical thing as oh, far as i thought he meant like if we don't believe in leaks john prosser goes poof and like doesn't <laughs> exist anymore so i made a video earlier this year uh chronicling why i felt like leaks were good for business or apple leaks were good for business and my reasoning is that they set expectation for tech events like I don't want to know everything that could happen in an event, but I do want to have a little bit of an idea of what is going to be presented at an event uh, going into it. So I kind of like Leaf in that respect, but I do see the downside and how they could kind of potentially ruin an event because if you know every single thing that's going to happen before the event goes live, why even have an event? So well, it's the same I, I thing. Like when there's a new, when there's a new like episode of Loki or Black Widow comes out, I can't go on the internet that day until I've seen it. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I can't, like YouTube is going to recommend every different spoiler video in the universe <laughs> to me the instant it goes up. And, you know, that's like, like so I, like there's two things. One, like spoiler leaks are just spoiler leaks. Like you either like spoilers or you don't. Depends on your personality. If someone is, is dumping toxic waste and you're going to whistleblow them, please do. That's important. You know, that kind of leak has to happen. So right. like if someone is, is doing something illegal, leak that stuff. Otherwise, it's just a spoiler and choose if you want to watch it or not, listen to it or not. Hey, you saw YouTube uh, leak, Renee. Twitter is worse. I mean, you go on Twitter and yeah, you, you get the endings and everything forward immediately. If you like, you gotta start muting words on Twitter so you don't see what the leaks are. And ugh, I just don't open it now. Like I, like, I, I was only, I knew I was only gonna watch Black Widow in the evening, so I didn't open Twitter the entire day. <laughs> I couldn't because it was gonna be spoiled. Actually, uh, since nobody else had any questions, let's talk about that real quick. So, how many times have you watched Black Widow so far? I watched it once. Twice. I, 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 I watched, watched it twice. I watched it one and a half, I guess. But uh, yeah. Oh my God, Renee. Oh, damn! Amazing movie. So good. Yeah, so good. yeah, so good. Wow. I mean, I would have paid 50 bucks for that on Disney Plus. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, and I love that you know, she was a producer on it. And it really shows through like the, the character interactions, the sisterhood, the family dynamics. It, it really isn't something we saw represented in movies even five years ago. And it was just so refreshing to see those sorts of relationships. I, I think I like it because it was a different type of Marvel movie. It wasn't the typical uh, supervillain come to blow up the world, Avenger, go save the world, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of more on, on along, the line, along the lines of like a James Bond type flick, and I'm all about James Bond. So seeing that whole dynamic oh, play you? out. 
Without I saw a video this morning, Zack Snyder cut of the Civil War airport fight. I don't know <laughs> if you saw it, but basically wow. they cut every joke out. And then anytime an action scene happens, it goes super slow. And like these <laughs> war chants start happening. <laughs> Like vision floats through giant man is like do do you do 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 and it's like one frame a second. It's it's amazing. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Um I, I you like in Loki? I, I you know what? I have been watching it. Uh have are you caught up with all of it? Yeah, I'm waiting for the last the last episode is Wednesday. Wednesday, right? Yep. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. You know what? It's a slow burn. It's a different type of show from the what we've gotten so far on Disney Plus, but I love the execution of the story. Um, yeah. Obviously, if you're paying attention, it's basically about loving yourself and coming to terms with the things that you have going on inside your heart and mind. And the way they have kind of executed that story has been nothing short of amazing. But I can definitely understand why a lot of people don't like it. It, it kind of didn't do nothing for me for the first three episodes. But then as things started coming into focus and I could see what, uh, what kind of story they were trying to tell with it, I got a little bit more interested in it. But uh it's definitely not for everybody. It's definitely not the typical Marvel uh, show, but I think uh, depending yeah. on how the finale goes, I think it's going to end up being pretty good. Well, Falcon well, and the Winter Soldier was the most marvel of shows because like WandaVision, the first three episodes, yeah. some people can't watch them and other people love them because they're an yep. homage to their childhood. And this too, like the first three episodes are so different from the last two episodes. The last two episodes are much more marvel action oriented. Yeah. The first ones were really like psychological slow burners. This was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's crazy. It's, it's uh, crazy. But uh, Loki, uh, we're all trying to figure out who the big bad is. I'm not going to talk about it too much here because for those of you guys that don't know what's going on. But uh, I think I, I talked about it on Twitter the other day. Although I think we have a pretty uh, big idea who the big it's bad is. It's Zack Snyder. Everyone knows it's Zack Snyder. Uh, absolutely. Oh, 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 oh. We are not going anywhere because Mr. Roberto Blake is incoming. All right. Get him in here. Nice. Oh, yeah. I can hear the, the Imperial March warming up <laughs> in the background. <laughs> Do, 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 do. <laughs> Go ahead, Roberto. What's up? Your pipe drop, baby. How you doing? Skills of the retro. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, uh, what's up, gentlemen? What's up, man? Uh, it's good to talk to you, man. Yeah, you too, Renee. Uh, I cannot wait to have you on my show. Um, oh, nice. Open oh, invite. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I've been enjoying the chat and everything like that. Um, definitely agree with you on Loki. Um, Black Widow. I have to watch it again because I made the mistake of like watching it when I was tired. So like I nodded off uh -huh. part of it. Not not because of the movie, just because the, you know it just is what it is when you try to do that. Um, all right. So interesting curveball question. There's this stuff cropping up right now about um where there's like petitions by uh, and starting with creators and influencers, and the community's divided on this because you know privacy is such a like touchy subject but um what do you guys think about this movement toward verified id to have like a social media account because the and the and one of the big reasons you have to understand it's not just the online trolling and toxicity that's been the issue prompting this movement but largely it's also the fact that there's just so much scams and fraud and spam on top of all the toxicity so when you look at that, the anonymity of the internet is not just about like people who don't want to like show their face or that have real reasons behind that. The reality is that while well, everybody else is now vulnerable to a lot of things, and it's not just trolling and toxicity, it's just straight up actual scams now. 
Right. The rest of us, like, so what do you guys think of this? Because, like, my issue is I understand those people's concerns, and it's not to say that they should be exiled from the internet, but maybe they end up in a more limited view situation. But I feel that, like, for the other 95% of people, fraud and scams and crypto scams and schemes and stuff like that, and all of this, um, like, spam comments and stuff like that is a real problem. And I don't know that the 95% of us need to be vulnerable to that just so that the other 5% of people can feel more comfortable. I'll, I'll do this real quick. So here's my thought. Um, I have no problem giving any type my identification as long as I do not have to display my real name on the on the platform. If I can keep my real name hidden, but you have my ID to know that it's me, I'm okay with that. But if you yeah, make me... We're if, talking about accountability. Yeah, yeah, if you make me use my real name, absolutely not. I think this stuff is really hard. Um, and you, you talk to any big platform, I spent, I say this, someone, I spent like 30 minutes today deleting crypto spam comments, uh, you know, and I, su I submit them to YouTube all the time. And I think Roberto and I probably know similar people that, that you can send this stuff to, to, to try to get it fixed. But it, they're so fast. Like we finally got rid of the, the, the porny avatar uh, oh, scams. And then we got the WhatsApp scams. And now we're getting, I forget, like the, all the crypto coin scams and it's hard. And Roberto did a really good video today about like applied from me, fake like reply scam. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah. A, a pinned comment from Roberto Blake as a username. Like they're, they're, yeah. it's horrible. Um, and you did a really good video about, about part of the problem because now YouTube is cranking up on those filters and it's getting like Graham Stephan caught in the filter. And it's the same thing with the app store. Like an, a real app gets rejected and they're all over Twitter complaining, but there's like 10,000 fake apps that got caught in the net. And every time you loosen it, the false positives get get fewer, but also more scams get in. And these are platforms that deal with billions and billions of interactions, never mind a day, like every second. It, I think the root of it is when the when the platform knows that you have to use a real ID and that yeah. that's tied to you. And whatever you do when you sign up, like we know and we got you and you can't make sock puppet accounts. You can't harass people. You can't uh, keep making spam things. It's like, I'm in favor of this because it gives you a universal kind of method for permanently banning someone and holding them accountable if they misuse um, the power of the internet. It's not anti-free speech. And in fact, it enhances freedom because your rights end where somebody else's begin and consumer protection is the purview of and responsibility not only of the platforms, but even the government, even though I'm not a big fan of them intervening in anything. I think that... <laughs> It's gone, but it's going to be one or the other at some point. At some point, yeah. when you're talking about the fact that it's fraud at a level that the F, the SEC kind of wants to get involved when you're talking about crypto fraud and these assets and things like that and these schemes, it's like a real problem that hurts real people with money, not just their feelings. So if we're about like when you when it gets to the point to where there's a problem that's stealing money from people versus but I want to have a voice the stealing money thing kind of takes precedent. And it's funny because like, there's going to be issues like you mentioned with um, dissidents, you know, in some countries with whistleblowers in some organizations and also with people like a bunch of rappers got caught cutting and pasting the, their email for the crypto pump and dump into the tweets that they were putting out to pump and dump the crypto. And these are people who are using their real names. They're just taking advantage of the high affinity of their audiences. So I, I think like there's a lot of merit to what you said, um, and I think the the accountability part, uh, like we have Elon joking about Dogecoin on Saturday Night Live and and killing the market. We live in a really bizarre time. Like it wiped half. It didn't wipe like half of like 
not even half a billion, like it, it, like not half a billion. It was like, was it half a billion or was it half a trillion dollars that got wiped out? I think it was half a billion, but it was a ludicrous amount, like money beyond anything any of us could ever dream of, you know? Yeah. That's like, that's crazy. And again, and that kind of thing creates a lot of like, I'm truly more concerned about people being defrauded and uh, being scammed and also people being impersonated and then people being taken advantage of because of that, but also someone's reputation being damaged because of that. Because if you're afraid that the, if you're more afraid that your privacy is going to be compromised than somebody's bank account is going to be compromised, I mean, I think that just is the line there of like, well, your comfort can't come at the expense, quite literally the expense of somebody else's um, financial situation, at least in, that's my opinion on it. We got to be careful with that one, Roberto, because we've seen what happens when some people probably get compromised. It's not a pretty sight. No, it's not pretty. It's not dangerous. But I'm saying, like the uh, then you have a recourse to some extent. It's not pretty, but we're talking about we're we're talking about giving your private details to the social media platforms, which at this point is the almost the same thing as the government or the banks having that information at this right. point. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. literally these these platforms are are bigger than certain countries. So I mean, if you're you already have to do that with any government that you're going to deal with. And you have to do that with any financial institution that you deal with. What's the difference? And the scale, like Instagram already requires your driver's license to verify you, but they all make it so hard to get verified. Like the bar is incredibly high on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram. Yeah, um, we were, And I've maybe heard. that should be way lower. Yeah, I've seen uh, horror stories about people that should be verified on Twitter but for whatever reason they did not get verified. So yeah, crazy. And then today there's like six accounts that were made a week ago that are all verified with like no followers and no tweets. It's like oh my goodness. I don't understand oh what they're God. doing. Oh, and you know, and you know, it it creates this problem where people spread disinformation campaigns. I mean, John Prosser like did a really great expose on um, you know, faux Twitter journalism, um, where he showed that he could um, manipulate uh, people into reporting on something that isn't true by spinning up uh, an account and making it seem credible, which was very enlightening as to exactly why there needs to be a way to tie an account user directly back to a human being and say, and slap them on the hand, and then also know that they can't spin up another account and do that kind of thing. Yeah, there definitely needs to be more accountability. Also, I think it's a little bit of people need to be smart about what they do and who they choose to interact with online, too, because we can't like we always talk about as far as uh, YouTube policing the platform and being a parent for people that don't know what their kids are doing. We can't rely on the platform to to protect them from everything. People just have to be smarter about what they're doing online as well. I mean, that's true. But at, at this point, the sophistication of the of the scams and the fraud is getting pretty ridiculous. It's 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 getting it's it's getting to the point to where it's not necessarily reasonable to just put it off on the users, you know, and that's not necessarily fair because it's um we we have to acknowledge also, I mean, we're at the infancy of this, but just think about everything that exists with voice AI now and deep fakes, right? Yeah. <laughs> at some point, at some point that's not that far away from also becoming a problem with another next level of of this. And and it's a it's a real thing that people it's not science fiction anymore it's science fact now 
that you not, you won't even be able to trust what you see with your own eyes and what you hear with your own ears to actually be true. And in, and a, in light of that, go ahead. There was a, um, an MKBHD shorts channel that had nothing to do with Marquez. They just took all his videos under the new remix policy and put shorts up, an entire channel full of shorts, well, not being Marquez. So like, and people thought it was him. Yeah, I saw... I saw a Mr. Beast channel like that too, where, and they were really aggressively like trying to do that. Um, and it was, and people thought it was Mr. Beast, um, yeah. for real. And, and, and then you also have the fact that I've seen with my own eyes, channels running ads as if they are Mr. Beast or Graham Stephan yeah. and um, a couple of other people. And it's all scams. It's all scams. Yeah. So I'm like, when it's that sophisticated and it can only get worse, Enough is enough. And I'm sorry that it does hurt some people because I know it does and it's a real issue. Maybe they can submit some kind of thing that like also grants them some kind of special dispensation based on their situation. But you need to protect the 95% of people that don't fall under that criteria when they are being targeted by predatory scams made for no other reason than to defraud them from money probably to finance illegal activity of some other kind on top of the fraud. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Hey, Roberto, man, I appreciate you spending time on Vibe Drop, man. Thank you. Yeah, always great to talk Anytime. to you. Anytime. Thank you. And thank and Renee, good on you, man, for everything you've been doing. You've been crushing oh, it. Thank you. Thank you so much. It means a lot coming from you. No doubt, Renee. You've been, you've been doing big things, man. I got oh. one question for you, sir. One question for you. What's we up? have now seen Alligator Loki. We have seen <laughs> Frog Thor. When... When are we going to see Viper Viper? I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> you know, you know, if the people from Marvel, if Kevin Feige wants to reach out to Viper, we can talk about it. You know, Kevin, call me, man. What's up? <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here first. Yeah, right. Serpent boy. Society. The Serpent Society needs a Viper. <laughs> Definitely. Kevin, call me, man. We, we can talk about it. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Shout out to those of y'all who are listening on audio only. Thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Job with me and my man, Renee Ritchie. Again, if you want to check out his content, his link will be in the show notes. Definitely check him out. He is legit. If you want to support the podcast, there should be a buy me a coffee link in the show notes as well. Again, it's not required, but anything that you are willing to contribute, as always, greatly, greatly appreciate it. If you happen to be listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a rating or review as it helps the podcast out, helps me get helps them to get more notoriety, this, that, and the other. So appreciate you doing that. Please take the time if you are listening on Apple Podcast. And thank you for listening to another episode of Vibe Drive. But until the next time, people, this your boy Viper, the man about tech. You know where to find me. So come back for more. Mm -hmm.